Thank you, Deborah. Great job. Take your Bible, turn with me this morning to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7 and verse number 24. Today's message on what to expect when the storms come seems especially appropriate for our little community. It's just been a little over a month since a tornado devastated our little town. And as you look around our community today, you see that much work has been done, but there are still many homes that are waiting to be repaired, and there is still evidence on every hand of the destructiveness of that storm. The story in today's text is about a storm that came into two men's lives and the effect that it had upon them. The story before us has the distinction of being the closing illustration in Jesus' great Sermon on the Mount. We have since verse 13 of this chapter been examining the conclusion to the Lord's Sermon on the Mount. And we have noted that he is warning of four different mistakes that an individual can make that will keep them from making a commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ and being saved. The first, back in verses 13 and 14, was a, a failure to understand that a personal decision and commitment was necessary. Second, we found in verses 15 through 20, uh, the danger of being deceived by false teachers and their doctrine. And third, in verses 21 through 23, we had the danger of self-profession without possession. And today Jesus gives us the last mistake, that of building on the wrong foundation. Not many preachers would finish a sermon in this manner. Jesus ends his sermon with an illustration that must have seemed very abrupt and startling and that sent his listeners away with a kind of a crash of doom resounding in their ears. In his concluding illustration, Jesus describes two men who have built houses. The use of this illustration shouldn't surprise us. After all, Jesus was trained by his earthly father to be a carpenter. He had no doubt built furniture that people put in their homes, and he had probably even built some homes as well. As a result, Jesus knew from experience the difference between a solid building and a shoddy building. He therefore uses the illustration of two builders, a wise builder and a foolish builder, to illustrate how many people build their lives. Jesus begins what has been called by many the parable of the wise and foolish builder in verse 24. He says, Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who builds his house on the rock. And the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house. And it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who builds his house on the sand. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on the house, and it fell, 
and great was its fall. Jesus talks about the folly of building a house on the sand. This was obviously something that actually happened in those times. In early summer, many of the areas in Palestine, and even in the United States for that matter, may appear to be a wonderful place to build a home. People tried to get as close to the water as possible, so they sometimes built their houses quite near a river or a stream. The land was smooth, the view was great, and the sandy soil looked like an inviting place to build. But unknown to the builders of this sandy soil, it, this sandy soil was fine until an unusually large amount of stormy weather or rain occurred. As the water in the river rose, it reached the sandy soil beneath the house. The sand shifted beneath the walls of the house and splat, the house collapsed. Which reminds you of those pictures that you've seen of California homes sliding off into the ocean. The water didn't even have to reach the house, it only had to reach the sand beneath the house. And when the water washed away the sand on which the house was built, the house didn't just shift, it didn't just lean, it didn't just tilt, it totally collapsed. And that's why Jesus said in verse 27, And the rain descended, and the flood came, and the winds blew and beat on the house, and it fell, and great was its fall. Now, smart builders could still build by the river, very close to the river, on house, a house on the sand. But the difference was that the wise builder continued to dig beneath the sand until he found solid rock upon which to build his foundation. Then he built his house <clears throat> upon the bedrock. Same location, same storm, same high water. So what's the difference? The difference is in what the house was established on. Before the storm, both houses looked identical. The difference wasn't seen until the storm came. Now since this is a parable, we know that Jesus is not primarily talking about how to build houses. He's not giving instructions on how you ought to go about building your home. He was talking about people. People just like us. And he's talking about building our lives. And I want us to know some, some similarities between these men keeping in mind that Jesus in the preceding verses has been describing the difference between true and false believers. First, both men build a house. Both men build their lives on some spiritual belief system. Now, whether you believe it or not, everybody in this world, everybody in this country, everybody in this building has built their life on some spiritual belief system. And seemingly, both of these people have built their house in the same general location. How do I know that? Well, the same storm hit both houses. True believers and false believers have always in the past and will continue in the future to live side by side. They may attend the same church, go to the same Bible studies, 
They may be so similar in outward appearance that most people will not be able to see the difference in their lives. In fact, the Lord says that that which is built is so similar that the only difference is what? The foundation. It's often when the storms come that the strength of the foundation is revealed. And there are four principles that I want us to look at this morning concerning this parable about the storms of life. First of all, we learn that storms come into every life. For both the wise and the foolish builder, the storms came and the waters rose. Nobody is immune to the storms of life. You better be prepared to face storms. Jesus said in John 16, in this world you will face trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. You need to get over the idea that you can somehow live a storm-free life. Some storms that you encounter will come from the outside, like the weather. And just like the weather, you have no control over them. You may be pounded by sickness or by a family crisis or by a financial crisis or a relationship problem. Those things are things that you may not be able to prevent. Storms also come from the inside. That's when you struggle with discouragement, when you want to quit. It may be that depression that you battle, when life doesn't seem to happen the way that you have planned. It's the pressure building up on the inside from all the junk that life throws your way. One thing that we have discovered after an unusual amount of rainfall in some parts of our country this year is that storms are very often followed by floods. Storms happen when there are clouds and thunder and lightning, but floods from the storm sometimes happen in the bright sunshine. Sometimes we survive the storm, but it's the flood, the aftermath, that sinks us. Most of us have some kind of an emergency mode in our lives. So when an emo a, uh, emotional storm strikes us suddenly, we... Can we act with strength in the face of some immediate threat? But when the adrenaline wears off, it is the slow rising tide of despair and discouragement that sometimes produces an emotional collapse. Remember, storms come to every one of us, and dangerous floods can follow those storms. As a friend of mine says, I can assure you of this. You are either in the midst of a storm right now in your life. You are just coming out of a storm in your life. Or you are abiding in the calm before the next storm. Today, meteorologists have great technological tools like Doppler radar to warn us when there is a severe storm approaching. They issue watches and warnings. They tell, even tell us when to take shelter. Unfortunately, it's harder to predict the onset of the storms of life. Most often, those storms strike us suddenly with little, if no, warning. You don't know when they may come. You don't know how long they may last. And you don't know the degree of damage they may cause. 
the time to prepare for a storm is before it hits, not while you're in it. When a tornado is over your house, it's too late then to build a storm shelter. Same is true with your life. Storms will come into every life. And secondly, we learn that it is in the storms that we discover the stability of our foundation. As we already noted, if we look at those two houses that Jesus describes from the outside, they look pretty much the same. The man whose house collapsed was not at fault because he had not worked hard, but because he did not lay the proper foundation. Externally, you can't tell which of the houses has a strong foundation and which has a weak foundation. Foundations can't be seen on the outside. Only when the storms come will the stability of the house be known. It is the storms that test us. Living in the sunshine of life doesn't tell us much about ourselves. All of us are building our lives according to some design. And if it is the storms that reveal the stability on which we have built, there is always the temptation to build our lives on false foundations. And although they may be as inviting as the sand down by the seashore, they are equally treacherous. Some people choose to build their lives on the false foundation of possessions, how much I own. Some build their lives on their passions, the satisfaction of their desires. Some build their lives on position, the jobs and offices they hold. But the truly wise build their lives on what is eternal. But understand with me that the storms do not reveal to God the nature of the foundation of our lives. God already knows that. The storms reveal to us what our lives are really built upon. David Gooding wrote, There is only one way to build a house secure against a storm, and that is to dig deep and lay its foundation on the rock. But digging deep can be troublesome. It is all too easy to be content with a superficial knowledge of Christianity and a superficial, normal profession of faith without real obedience to Christ. But just as there is only one foundation, so only those who, by personal contact with Him, build directly and squarely on the foundation of His Word, believed, applied, and performed, will survive the storms here and hereafter. Of course, the greatest storm of all is not the storms of this life. The greatest storm is the judgment of God which will at last determine on what foundation a life is built. Jesus Christ is the only true, secure foundation on which to build our lives. The Apostle Paul said it so well when he wrote to the church in Corinth in 1 Corinthians 3.11, saying, For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. We're not talking about just holding the right opinions about Jesus. We're not even talking about having the right religious doctrine, as important as that is. We're talking about a personal commitment of our lives to Jesus Christ and living our lives 
accordingly. The validation that you are truly saved is not in having made a profession. The validation that you are truly saved is not in having been baptized. The validation that you are truly saved is not being a church member, any church. The validation that you are truly saved is living a life of obedience to the Word of God. If in your life you are living in a continuing state that you know is forbidden by the Word of God, and you are not convicted, not convicted enough to do something about it, then I worry about whether you are truly saved. In the storms, you discover the stability of your foundation. And third, the storms reveal things you will never know otherwise. God has a plan even in the storms. He does not allow, allow the storms in our lives in order to destroy us. He allows them in order that we will rush into his arms. Think with me for a moment. As parents, some of the most precious memories that we have are opportunities that we have had to comfort our children. I want us to consider that sometimes when the storms come in our lives, when we feel desperate and helpless, when we wonder, where is God? When I hurt, maybe God is closer to us than we think. Maybe it is when we are in these situations, when everything falls apart, that God gets an opportunity to remind us of how much he loves us. And fourth and finally this morning, we can learn from the storms and rebuild our lives accordingly. Most of us have experienced times in our lives when the storms came and we felt like we fell apart. The truth is that we will experience multiple storms in life. And the question is, what are we going to do after we have been devastated by a storm? The truly foolish man is the one who rebuilds his or her life upon the same foundations that had failed them before. Someone has defined insanity this way, and I really like this definition. Doing the same thing over and over and expecting different results. But you can probably all think of people in your life that you know that do exactly that. They have a failure, and they rebuild their lives upon the same foundation upon which have previously failed them. I remember some time ago watching the History Channel... My daughter used to call it the H Channel because it has a little H at the bottom. Watching the History Channel about the great hurricane of 1900. That storm nearly, nearly completely destroyed the city of Galveston. On September the 8th, 1900, a great hurricane came barreling on off the Gulf of Mexico toward the Texas coast with no warning in those days. Galveston Island absorbed the brunt of that storm. The raging winds and the flood tide so devastated the city of Galveston that it still ranks today as the most deadly natural disaster in American history with over 6,000 dead. It was Galveston's worst, but it was also Galveston's 
finest hour. Rather than deserting the island, as many suggested, the, the survivors decided to rebuild, but they knew they couldn't rebuild as they had before. Three civil engineers were hired to raise the entire level of the island by 12 feet. 16 million cubic yards of dirt and sand were pumped in from the sea bottom before any structure was rebuilt. They dug down deeply to find a firm foundation, and they built a large seawall along the south coast of the island. It actually took 60 years to complete that current seawall. Did it work? Well, in 1915, another hurricane of the same severity socked Galveston again. Everyone held their collective breath, and when the sky cleared, the island was flooded, but almost all the structures survived, and there was little loss of life. Galveston learned from the storm, and they rebuilt accordingly. And the challenge for us today is what have the storms in your life revealed to you, and have you rebuilt accordingly? Jesus ends his sermon by saying in verse 24, He that hears and does. I think we all understand that knowing what is right is one thing, and doing it is something altogether different. James put it this way in his book, James chapter 1, verse 22, be ye doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. But what does it mean to be a doer of the word? It is not what we have said, James says, that is important, but what we have done. It is not we have, what we have professed to believe, but what is verified by our walk. It is not what doctrine we have believed, but what fruit we bear. So what was the result of the hundreds of people who heard the greatest sermon ever preached? What was the response on that day? Was there a tremendous rush to become a disciple of the Lord Jesus? Well, verse number 28 says, And so it was when Jesus had ended these sayings that the people were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. It says that there was no rush to become a disciple of Jesus, but that the, rather that the people were astonished. Now, we could use a lot of words to describe that. It means they were awed, that, that they were amazed. But when I look it up in the Greek text, it literally means it blew their minds. It blew them away that anyone could stand up as Jesus had done and say all the things that he said with the power that he said them. They recognized that Jesus spoke with unparalleled authority. But that's where it ends. They were shocked. But that's not the way I hope that it ends for you today. If you re remember nothing else from this message today, let it be this. The validation that you are truly saved is living a life of obedience to the Word of God. Jesus wants to be more than shocked. He wants us to be more than amazed. We should be changed. 
And that's what Jesus is after. What will your response be to hearing the Word of God? Remember that your eternal destiny may depend upon it. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the opportunity to share your Word today. Thank you that your Word never changes and is always able to be applied in our lives. I don't know the condition of each individual that's in this place this morning. Everybody here may be a believer. They may know for sure that they're headed to heaven. They may know for sure that they have a personal relationship with you. But I suspect that's not true. That not everyone here can say that. And if there is one here, Lord, that knows that they're not saved, they know they've never developed a relationship with you, I pray that today, here, in this place, that they might just turn to you and very simply say, Lord, I I know I'm a sinner and I deserve punishment. But I believe this morning that Jesus took my punishment that through him I might be forgiven. Lord, I trust you for salvation. I thank you for your love and your forgiveness. And I thank you for eternal life. If you will so pray, there's no magic formula in what I said. Those exact words are not important. But the sincerity of your heart is must include repentance, recognition that you are a sinner. It must include faith that you believe that Jesus Christ is all that he said he was, that he went to the cross and he took the, your place on the cross of Calvary. For those of us who are saved, we know we have a personal relationship with us, with you. Then, Lord, I pray that today you would help us to live a life of obedience. Help our lives to be validated, not by just what we say we believe, but how we live each day of our life. The decisions that we make, may our lives reflect our faith. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.